Welcome back to the Global Supply Chain Week Day 2. This is the day focused on retail and building and construction. I'm Andrew Cox, Senior Retail Analyst here at FreightWaves and host of Great Quarter Guys. Welcome into Episode 62 of Great Quarter Guys, the show where the lines between freight and finance are none. That is quite a corny uh, catchphrase. I got to say I'm not the best catchphrase writer, but the idea here is that this show sits at the intersection of freight and finance for anyone who hasn't seen the show. Typically, I have Seth home with me uh, as my co-host. He has had a family emergency, so I wish him well and wish him safe travels to see his family. But I've got Kevin Hill here with me who has been in and out of this show many times. Uh, he's been my co-host in, in the months past throughout the coronavirus. And Kevin, thanks for stepping up and taking the time to do this with me and uh, and welcome. Uh, th- thank you very much, Andrew. It's my pleasure. It's uh, good to be back on Great Quarter Guys. It's, it's been a little while since I have, uh, I have been on here, but I'm ready to have some really good debates with you and talk finance and talk supply chain, logistics, transportation, and some stocks, probably. Yeah, that's right. We're going to talk a little bit, a couple of stock earnings and a few things in our opening segment. Uh, but just after that, we're going to have two incredible conversations. First, with uh, the CEO of Zoom, the founder and CEO of Zoom, that is Mustafa Azizi. He's going to give us his vision for a more collaborative supply chain and how Zoom's modular platform is helping connect shippers to uh, their transportation partners. And then we're also going to talk with one of the best shippers in the entire world, that is Home Depot. We've got two guests from Home Depot, one from the logistics and another from the transportation division. That is going to be an incredible conversation. That's coming up after the break. Um, But before we do that, we do need to give away an Apple 4K TV. We have another big giveaway to go. So if we can get a drum roll going whenever you guys are ready. Oh, well, I I, I I guess it's going to be up to me. It may be up to us. Kevin, thank you for the drum roll. Our winner of the Apple TV 4K is John Painter. He is the founder and CEO of Port of Nancha. Uh, Nancha America Inc. So again, John Painter, you have won an Apple TV 4K. So we'll reach out to you uh, to get your address and send that to you. So congratulations to that. So yeah. uh, before we get to our guest, before we get to Mustafa, uh, Kevin and I are going to do our segment called You Care or Nah. This started as a play on uh, Dan Lebitard's show, Highly Questionable. He does a segment called See or No with his father, Poppy, that I always loved. I love Dan Lebitard and I'm also of Cuban descent. So we have a little connection there. So I did this as a, as a play off of his show. But now that Highly Questionable has been dissolved and Dan Lebitard is no longer with ESPN. It's an ode to Dan Lebitard. So let's do it. Uh, this is You Care or Not. Nah. I'm going to give you an idea, a topic, or event, Kevin, and you tell me whether you care or not and why. So the first one is on Walmart. Walmart posted its strongest same-store sales in at least a decade uh, this year, posting Q4 earnings of same-store sales up 8.6%. That's more than double the closest handle of 3.7% in 2009, or 2019, rather. But the stock sold off hard upon the announcement. Kevin? You care or not? I, I don't. You know what? Walmart's going to be there. They're, they're going to keep being there. It doesn't really matter. And, you know, the old adage, you know, buy on the rumor, sell on the news. The, the news is they had a great quarter. It's time to take your profits and and uh, get out. But it's going to be hard to, to, to have that, that same growth trajectory going forward because of, uh, you know, because of just uh, Q4 and 2020 and, and all there is to say about that. Yeah, I'll definitely say that I agree. I care about this one very much. You're seeing right now a video of Walmart's Alphabet, which I'm going to speak to in a moment. But uh, yeah, this is America's largest retailer. Of course, I care. They posted 80% online sales growth for the year. Uh, just incredible numbers. And as you said, Kevin, that that can't go on forever. A company Walmart size can't grow e-commerce uh, 100% or 80% for, for very long. 
But what's more important to me was the same store sales growth again, uh, double the closest year in the last decade, up 8.6%. But the stock sold off, and that is because you're right, growth is decelerating. Uh, but that shouldn't come as a surprise. The growth is going to have to slow. They grew mm -hmm. very fast in 2019. But the the decelerating growth does point to some of the uh, the the lack or the loss of tailwinds that have pushed them through the COVID-19 pandemic. Because without a doubt, you and I have talked about this a lot. There is this uh, generational um, pent up demand for services, especially right now. I think people are dying to do the things that COVID has stopped them from doing. Just look at some of the countries that have a better grip on the coronavirus pandemic, mm -hmm. like China. If you look at uh, movie sales, movie ticket sales, opening weekend box office for Lunar New Year destroyed 2019 records. People are anxious to do the things uh, that they did that COVID has prevented them from doing. And all of those things happen outside of Walmart stores. Yeah, you're exactly right. I, I can't wait to get on a, a plane and go on vacation. I, I can't wait to go to a football game or a baseball game or anything else that's not a tangible good, that, that's more enjoyment. And and I think everyone else is as well. So those that, that's a big uh, headwind coming into to Walmart. All the, the retailers out there who are moving, you know, selling physical goods is that that, that mix shift is going to to just shift over at some point in the future, or hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, I think it'll be still a strong demand for goods, but uh, the, you know that the, the great growth that we've seen over the last oh what two, three, four quarters is uh, is going to dissipate. Yeah, so Walmart is trying to front run that uh, decline. They're, they've had a strong growth in e-commerce this year, but it's still an unprofitable segment for them. You got to think about that they've been subsidizing e-commerce, uh, especially the Bopus and curbside pickup operations. Those have additional costs. You need additional labor to staff them. You need to, you take away some space on the floor to make sure that those picking and packing happen. So there are additional costs to Walmart that they haven't been passing on to consumers. And, and there's there's there is a plus to, to all of that. And I don't know if they they talked about it. And maybe you know uh, about their new partnership with uh, Shopify. And how that's going? Did they comment on that on their, their earnings? I didn't you know? hear a comment on the Shopify partnership. Uh, we've talked about that back on a previous episode of Great Quarter Guys. That I thought it was a, a fantastic partnership for them to be able to leverage mm -hmm. and open up uh, their their product assortment to everything that Shopify uh, has available, especially the best products. So I haven't heard anything on that. But they did announce that they're going to step up capex a lot this year. So they usually spend about 10 billion a year. They're going to step that up to 14 billion uh, in 2021, and the vast majority of that is going to be focused on fulfillment capacity, automation. Uh, and, and technology to to beef up mm -hmm. that online um, to beef up that online sales uh, fulfillment, and a lot of that has to do with Alphabot. That video that was shown earlier that is their local fulfillment technology, a, a highly automated uh, local fulfillment center that's being built on the back of Walmart stores or even inside of Walmart stores mm -hmm. in some cases. And this is this is the best thing for Walmart, I think, is that this is the key to to re achieving um, e-commerce profitability in my mind. And it also it has it has many benefits. It gets them lower cost, faster fulfillment, but it also takes the pickers out of the stores. It opens up the store floor. It doesn't deplete the, sh the, the store shelves like the pickers do right now. So mm -hmm. I think there's benefits not only to e-commerce, but to the store as well. I, I do too. I, I, I think there is, and you got to invest for the future, and Walmart's doing that. And that's I think that's one of the reasons why we both care uh, about that that first CEO no. That's right. So we have a couple more minutes here. We're going to run through one last one. We're not going to get to our third, but uh, this is the second topic I have for you is, is the future of e-commerce cardboardless? Jet.com co-founder and former Walmart.com executive Nathan Faust believes it just might be. That's why he has launched Olive, a delivery consolidation company that aggregates a household's online orders into one weekly delivery made in a recycled, reusable shipper. There is the shipper there. Uh, you get an idea of what it looks like. Everything comes cardboardless. Kevin, what do you make of this? Do you care or not about Olive? 
You know, it's hard because everyone wants everything now. If you click it, you want it next day, that that whole Amazonification of the delivery process. So having it delivered once a week, I'm not really sure. I also think it's a play on somewhat of a quasi-subscription system, uh, but not really a sticky one. And there's there are some some problems with the you know, the, the products in a box, right? The, that weekly or, or monthly membership package, uh, customer acquisition costs are really high on that. And I think this might be a play on that that doesn't really go far enough, maybe. Well, I disagree. Uh, I do care about this one. <laughs> I think uh, I, I agree with you in that this goes directly against the arms race that's happening right now between mm-hmm. Amazon and Walmart and Target and all the all the people that can actually compete with same day or next day delivery. This goes completely against that and says we're going to give you one per week and I think that there is a lot of benefits here. One, there's a huge sustainability impact, the lack of the less, less cardboard, uh, less final mile stops, less carbon emissions, and so on and so forth. But I really think, and Nathan Faust believes, that the attraction to this is the two-way ability of the box. So uh, there's been very little innovation in packaging in the 25 years of e-commerce. Amazon has led the way in reducing the size of the package or the weight of the package. But it's still the same single-use, one-way package. And the way that this changes things is that you have a set day, and it's two-way. If you have things you want to return, you just put it in the box, and it's picked up the same way it's delivered. So I think that it it attracts a lot of people to this seamless um, returns process. And then in addition, you have great sustainability impact uh, on your orders. And I think that people are going to be attracted to that. I, I agree. All right. So that is all the time we have today for You Care or Not. You guys can tune in to Great Quarter Guys every Tuesday. We do a bevy of these each week uh, focused on transportation, finance, consumer products, uh, and anything in between. But it's now time for Mustafa Azizi. I believe he's with us now. Mustafa, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Can you guys hear me? I sure can. You're looking great, man. You've still got the, uh, the busy whiteboard behind you, which is what we love to see. Yeah, it's my little goodwill hunting thing. I had to basically <laughs> make up all this stuff. It doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> All right, Mustafa. Let's uh, let's start. Let's give a, a little introduction about Zoom because you know you've been on Freightways TV a couple times. We've seen your commercials throughout the event today. But I think just a little intro uh, about yourself, how you started Zoom, and what Zoom does would be helpful. Yeah. Um, so we're, we've been around for about five years. Um, my career, I studied supply chain economics at UC Berkeley, and uh, my first job was uh, at JB Hunt. Worked there for five years, learned a lot from that organization, understood the brokerage model really well. Worked at a couple of trucking companies where um, got a lot of insights on the digital brokers and freight marketplaces and load boards. And then um, we founded Zoom about five years ago. Uh, we have two value propositions. One, we're a capacity aggregation model in almost like a digital brokerage. But uh, our second value proposition is that we couple that with a management solution to help uh, the three stakeholders like shippers, brokers, and freight truckers. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. 
Mustafa, you guys yeah. have, uh, when you guys started Zoom, you focused on technology. You didn't market as much uh, as you are now. You guys really focused on building out software, building out products that could be helpful to all uh, corners of the supply chain. And now you've, you've got a, a modular platform that can be taken off the shelf for different, uh, different corners of the supply chain. So explain a little bit about the importance of being a, a modular product and how it's impacted uh, your customers. Yeah, so it kind of, for us, it comes down to like humility we understand there's a lot of great unitary products out there. And uh, for us, uh, essentially, when we founded our company, we subscribed to something called product market fit, fit and agile development, which means that like you build from a core and you build out. Um, uh, being a startup, you know, we don't have the giant budgets to do a lot of um, marketing work in places. So essentially, we really had to build a product that was valuable to our stakeholders. And the second thing about our company is we're really design focused where you can put a user that just started in a brokerage and starts using the technology and they feel like they already knew it before they even started working with it. And for us, um, the, the ultimate thing that we're trying to work for is we want to lower that capacity acquisition cost while keeping the driver's utility up. So how it's such a duality, uh, you know, and even if you look at our business model as a company, the fact that um, we are a digital brokerage, but we share our technology in sorts with our competitors, like one of the companies that have been invested in us is uh, Top 10 Freight Brokerage. In reality, they're a competitor to us, but we really want to champion and become that social experiment that says if we work towards basically developing a synergy pool where competitors can uh, work together towards bigger uh, initiatives in the industry that's going to be better for all of us. One thing, um, my whole life and our company, we're really founded around this one book, which is called Think and Grow Rich. <laughs> and there's a chapter there. And this is a 1953 copy. I got to be careful. This one with my baby. Uh, <laughs> but it really shows like it, with our company, um, we're blessed to have um, eight customers in the Fortune 100. And we're only 100 people. And we didn't do all that ad work, but where if I had like a couple minutes to prove out to someone, um, it really comes down to seeing our technology, seeing our logistics people. Like, for example, we have the freight where you need 30 to 50 brokers to manage that. And we do it with a team of 10 and it goes by really well. And we're in like the top five of all our customer service against their asset based carriers. But what we did is we also developed the TMS for their asset-based carriers, and we don't charge for that. I feel like this other book is a lot of what I see in our industry. And Art of War. Yeah, and when Adam Smith wrote this book, he said there was room for competition to work together, and we want to champion that. So in a way, we might be a contradiction, but we're a social experiment that will prove that through good technology. So, so you, you mentioned capacity acquisition costs, and it's something that, that I have spent a lot of time looking at, researching, talking about, you know, the, you know, the, the, the cost to cover or ca capacity acquisition costs. Can you dive down and, and tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, so if you're trying to find a driver in surging markets, it can be like right now in our industry, it's, uh, the drivers have the power because there's so much freight coming out of everywhere in the winter storms and COVID-19. It's really about making sure that 
<clears throat> we talked to some drivers and they were getting frustrated with the fact that there's so many um, load boards out there and there's so many digital freight brokers and they have to manage all this. So we built a system where they can manage it all and we don't charge them for it. So we bring up the utility of that trucking company um, by giving him software to leverage his business and manage his accounting. And then we leverage his utility back into the capacity pool. Second fold, we automate our back offices where a normal TMS uh, would take like 40 steps. Ours can take like three or four steps. So we're lowering the cost in there and it all aggregates to a lower um, capacity acquisition cost. It's, it's um, the proof's in the pudding really. Mustafa, I got to ask you, you mentioned a moment ago that you thought that this style of what you're doing is contradictory, that uh, you even spoke to me on the phone that people may get upset uh, with what you're doing. What is so contradictory about being collaborative? And it's something that we've seen a lot more uh, companies do throughout COVID when times got tough. We, we saw supply chains come together and think more about my whole supply chain, not just uh, my product. So talk to me about what's so contradictory about collaboration. Well, ever since I've been in this industry for like 12 plus years now, everybody's trying to disrupt this and take over this market. And um, we are contradictory to the notion of competition. See, mm -hmm. when you want to synergize towards data aggregation, um, that's a contradiction towards the capitalism that wants to go towards monopoly. And in reality, um, to give you one example, um, some of our competitors have invested in us and we shared our technology with them. And now we share the same application for the drivers on the, on the app store. So that way the drivers don't have to download like 20 different digital freight brokerages applications. And if we get enough um, brokerages that want to leverage the driver acquisition cost, but still keep their data private through a platform as a service model, then we can leverage the two sides of it. Do, do I have this right? What you're talking about aggregating the, the different, uh, you know, apps. Is that kind of like a kayak or, you know, uh, what is another word? Airbnb? I was going to say, or, or even you, when, I, when I hear it, I think of Instacart and uh, yep. what the guy from Walmart was speaking, what uh, Mr. Kogan from Walmart was talking about, just uh, aggregating, uh, aggregating a bunch of different companies' product onto one place mm -hmm. and allowing that to be uh, where you can go through. Is that um, similar to the idea? Well, I've heard a lot of, <clears throat> um, so you got the, digital freight brokerage, you got the digital freight marketplace, yeah, you got the yeah. cloud-based TMS, you got the global capacity visibility platform. They all overlap and they're all calling themselves the kayak now. Um, even the digital freight brokers are pivoting towards becoming more of a TMS provider and offering their system to the enterprise customers. Um, I think our industry is very complicated compared to comparing it to an airline agency. So in theory, broadly speaking, it's like a kayak with a QuickBooks built in to it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So um, indirectly, our co uh, company, because we're trying to uh, empower our competitors with our technology, but we still also build uh, like some of the digital uh Rate boards that are out there are some of the best companies I've ever partnered with, and we need them to grow, and we partner with them. So the reality is we feel like if we share aspects of our technology with them, we can really get ahead. Not everybody's going to jump on it, but if enough people do, we can prove out our social experiment.
All right, so again, we're speaking to CEO of Zoom, Mustafa Azizi. Mustafa, we've got about two minutes here left, so I did want to give you a moment just to kind of uh, put this, put a bow on this conversation and give us your vision uh, because you want, you want suppliers and, uh, and retailers to work more collaboratively. You want supply chain uh, partners to share more data together. What does that mean? How, does, how, do, how do we get there? Yeah, so I think the, the difficult part for people to actually move towards continuous movement um, Whatever systems we put in place in the last five years are proven that they're not really working right now because drivers are charging like double the price. Shippers, um, like some of the top Fortune 100 customers I have, are flooding us with spot opportunities, which shows how um, they have more room for efficiency in their business model. I think the idea is to crawl, walk, run. And if we can get um, the focus of enough people working towards an initiative where their data is safe, but we can think about pieces of the end of their data where it connects to the small to medium-sized trucking company and work towards developing a pilot, and we're already working on that, then ultimately we're going to have a story to tell other organizations that actually proves out. All right, Mustafa, uh, where do retailers, where do people go to find more about that story? You've got uh, about 30 seconds. Yeah, so you can always email us, right? And, um, or just go to our website, which is Zoom app. That's Z-U-U-M-A-P-P.com. And that crawl, walk, run begins from there. And then really the proof is in the pudding. Once we show you guys the demo and what, we, what we've been able to achieve for bigger companies, it's all going to make sense there. All right. Mustafa, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you keep that whiteboard full and keep bringing the good ideas to us, my man. Thank you. Thanks. I love what you're doing. Please continue. All right. We'll do. We'll be right back after this short break. Stay tuned. Welcome back to... Welcome back to Great Quarter Guys live from the live desk here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, HQ2 for the Global Supply Chain Week, day two, focused on retail and building and construction. We have one of the biggest names in building and construction and one of the biggest retailers in the world uh, with us now. We've got two uh, guests from Home Depot. We have Michelle Livingstone and John Drake. Michelle, John, welcome to the summit and thank you for joining me. Thank you for Uh, having us. Lovely. So I think it would be, we all know uh, Home Depot very well. It's a, it's a household name, but I think it would be helpful to get just a little bit of information about each of your roles. I know you, one of you works in logistics, the other in the transportation division. So Michelle, if you could just uh, give a few, a few moments uh, explaining your role, and then we'll go to John. Absolutely. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'm Michelle Livingstone, and I've had the pleasure and privilege of serving as the Vice President of Transportation for the Home Depot for the past 13 years. So my group is responsible for ensuring that whatever we buy around the world or domestically finds its way into a distribution center or a store, and then we assist John on his end uh, in terms of the final mile activities where necessary. So John, I'll turn it over to you. Great. Thank you. So, uh, Thanks for having us uh, this afternoon, and uh, we're wearing our aprons in case not everybody can see us because today's earnings day at the Home Depot. Uh, So I'm responsible for uh, delivery and really delivery to customers. So if you think about that, that's four key product line, four key channels that we do. One, appliances. Two, uh, I'm responsible for all the dot-com business, so whether it's parcel, ship to home for LTL. Uh, The deliver from store, so we still deliver out of our stores still do about 60,000 deliveries a week, 
whether that's flatbed, box, van, or car. And then our HD Pro business, which we have an MRO business. And as you guys know, we also acquired HD Supply. So we have our current legacy interline brands and we're responsible for that. I'm not responsible for anything associated with HD Supply. So pretty much uh, that's our business in a nutshell. All right. Yeah, I was actually excited to see the HD Supply brought back uh, into the Home Depot uh, portfolio. And I absolutely love that you're wearing uh, your, uh, what did you call it? Did you consider it an apron? Yes, an apron. Okay. Yep. I, I love the apron. Uh, and congratulations on a stellar earnings. We won't get too much into detail on it, but an absolutely a, a great day for the company. Let's talk about uh, COVID a little bit. I think we would be remiss to not speak about some of the challenges that have developed throughout COVID. The, good, the, the, the strange thing for you, the unique thing for Home Depot is that they were, you guys were dealing with incredible uh, demand influx. Uh, you guys didn't have to deal so much with this uh, incredible drop in demand. You had the opposite problem where you dealt with a 25% sales comp at a time when transportation capacity is as tight maybe as it's ever been in your 13 years uh, in the transportation division, Michelle. So can you just speak to some of the challenges and how capacity, uh, how difficult capacity was to source? Yes, certainly 2020 will be remembered for all time's sake, I believe, as being one of the tightest transportation markets. And you're right, when COVID first hit and companies were shut down, uh, obviously, uh, capacity was plentiful, but then as uh, time went by uh, and Home Depot had the pleasure of being one of the essential retailers, we certainly saw the 25% sales comps, but what that equals is actually the 35 to 40% shipment comps, and it has been definitely a challenge, but we've been very fortunate that our carriers have been able to flex up with us, and uh, we've added some additional along the way and it's really been a learning experience you go through a year like 2020 and you really understand who your business partners are and and who you align with is really important so we're we're pleased that we've made it through sales comps remain high um, and we're still uh, going strong and uh, again we're very appreciative and want to thank all of the carriers out there who helped us out during this uh, really tight time now, John, uh, given how difficult the or how great the sales comps were for the overall sales, uh, 25% or so, they're even more ridiculous when you look at online sales. So you dealing there with the e-commerce delivery. Tell me about uh, some of the difficulties you guys faced with sourcing capacity to get that final mile uh, product delivered. Yeah, I think um, the hardest part was as COVID-19 started, uh, we created um, you know some, some social distancing, whether that was inside our stores or our distribution centers we had to rethink how we got product out. So um, from a sourcing capacity, a lot of this uh, from our dot-com buildings is we had to increase our capacity, our throughput out of the building itself. So we staffed up quite a bit. We actually, as actually talked about on the earnings call today, we have a, a Chicago market delivery center that we converted to a dot-com building in roughly four weeks. And we had to do that in order to meet that, that demand. And then related to stores, what we did is we expanded our car service, our van service, um, as well as, as you guys know, we instituted curbside within a matter of days in order to service our customers. So as we've done all that, we, we increased our ability to buy online and either pick up in store or deliver in store. And, you know, as uh, announced today, yes, we had tremendous growth on our online business, 86%. Uh, but 60% of that 86 was actually fulfilled from a store itself. That was either whether you curbside or whether uh, we had it delivered from uh, the store itself. Yeah. So, so Michelle, you talked about uh, the, the, the roller coaster of a year of 2020 and, and the transportation markets uh, from, you know, March and April of last year and the, the lockdowns and the fall in, 
in, in capacity to the tightness and capacity that, that we're seeing right now. And, you know, implementing pricing strategies and RFPs and bids. Uh, can you can you explain a little bit about your strategies on that? You know, mini bids and, and there's different words for it, but kind of the strategies for securing uh, capacity. Yeah, absolutely. So we do conduct a national truckload bid each year. And for the most part, the national truckload bid uh, held its own. We did choose to make some voluntary pricing uh, changes, recognizing that the market had shifted from the time that we did our bid to the to the current market conditions. So we voluntarily made some changes. And what's been really interesting, because sales have been so strong, we've added a lot more vendors. We were significantly significantly over our capacity requirements uh, that we had negotiated with carriers up front. So we have conducted a number of mini bids throughout the year that has consisted of uh, thousands of loads and Oh, looks like oh. we lost Michelle there for a moment. But she got a phone call, I guarantee you. <laughs> she may have gotten a phone oh, call. Oh, sorry. Oh, that's okay. Oh. She's back with us. Uh, John, I did wanted to, I wanted to throw a question to you because you mentioned that 60% of online orders were now coming uh, from stores, either through curbside or BOPIS, or they're being delivered from store. I, I've, I was thinking that throughout COVID, you guys have had great growth, but I would assume there's also been this mix shift in customers uh, at Home Depot. I think you, typically you guys have 45% or 50% of your sales come from professional professional, uh, you know, professional people. And then you have half of them come from the DIYs like ourselves. But I think that's shifted away from pros and more to Joe's. So do you, do you think that impacted the level of fulfillment from store that you guys were able to achieve? Yeah, I think, well, I think a couple things. One, there was no doubt that um, us and other retailers were trying to be good community stewards. And, you know, we had several government restrictions about how many people could be in a store but we still had that high demand. So, and yes, the pro did through COVID for sure suffer. Uh, and I think that's because obviously people didn't want them inside their homes, but as mentioned on the earnings call today, we see that coming back and we see the shift heading back. Um, you know, it's really, you know, when the height of the pandemic started and we got deemed a, an essential, an essential retailer and we started limiting capacity inside the store, which was all very public information, that's when we saw delivery comps skyrocket. And as, as regulations started to reduce and we started letting more people in the store requiring masks and, and those type of things in order to protect not only our associates, but our customers, that's where we've seen it kind of level off a little bit. Well, that's that good to sense. hear that you guys are expecting some growth back from pros in 2021. I'm sure that a lot of those projects that people put off in 2020 because they didn't want people in their homes, they now uh, actually have some additional money from either the stimulus or savings from not going on vacation that can actually go towards uh, that project. Um, Michelle, I wanted to talk about Shipper of Choice. Home Depot has been a Shipper of Choice here at Freight Waves for a couple years now. You guys have won that award. Uh, the nominations are now open for the Shipper of Choice Awards if anybody uh, wants to go nominate a shipper of theirs. Uh, how do you guys maintain this type of strategy of wanting to be a shipper of choice when COVID times are really tough? Yeah, thanks so much for the question. And we certainly appreciate Freight Waves providing a venue for the recognition of shipper of choice. And we keep our fingers crossed that uh, we'll be uh, fortunate enough again to be recognized. But what's really great about the shipper of choice within Home Depot is that it has become a company-wide event. The recognition of the importance that a driver plays and the ability for us to serve our customers in our stores is recognized from the executive levels to the store associates and the DC associates as well. So it's 
it's been um, really important. And, you know, we've always participated in Driver Appreciation Week in September. But because COVID was such an unusual time period and really difficult for the drivers who were frontline workers, clearly, uh, we tried to go above and beyond this year. So when uh, PE was tight, uh, we provided hand sanitizers and uh, masks where we could and snacks, to be honest with you, because they were on the road without much going on, uh, particularly in the early days. And so we've really taken this opportunity to say thank you to uh, our dedicated and one-way drivers and let them know that we truly appreciate them. And I think after a year like 2020, they're even more deserving than ever. So it's really been a great way to continue to appreciate and value the great service that they provide us. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's something that we at FreightWaves have tried to do our best of throughout COVID is that is to honor these workers because they are as much frontline workers as anyone else in our industry, uh, in our in our country, rather, keeping the economy moving. Michelle, I want to ask you about freight unbundling because this is something that's really interesting to me. And this is um, a change that is occurring at Home Depot that could have some major benefits to uh, even the end consumer when it comes to cost. So tell us a little bit about the, the changing of strategy that's happening at Home Depot when it comes to sourcing your product and how you're unbundling the freight. Uh, from that product? Yes, absolutely. So for many years, the way that our merchants chose to purchase from our suppliers was on a freight prepaid basis, meaning the vendor was responsible for the freight. And that was absolutely very clear particularly in the lumber area with all of our lumber vendors. And uh, because we had unbundled, basically moved to collect terms for the majority of our product as we built out the rapid deployment centers starting in 2007, uh, we thought the last frontier was really the lumber area. So about two years ago, we started an effort to unbundle that freight. And it was a big change for our suppliers uh, and uh, certainly for the carriers as well. But we found it to be really advantageous because that allows us to use our own dedicated fleet where we're going from our bulk distribution center to our stores to then be able to swing by where it makes sense and pick up product from a vendor and uh, bring that in on our own equipment. And then it also allows us to leverage all of the Home Depot assets and uh, spend that we have to come up with better optimization uh, as a result of being able to unbundle that freight. So we appreciate all of our suppliers and carriers working with us through that initiative. And you all have a lot of assets. I remember, I think you told me in our previous call that uh, in this process of freight unbundling, you've now, Home Depot is now one of the largest uh, LTL, or um, not LTL rather, but flatbed carriers uh, in the country. Is that correct? Well, yes, we are definitely working toward that. And the flatbed capacity, those of us in the industry recognize, there's no one major player in the flatbed industry. It's not like there's a, a Swift equivalent or a, a Schneider or J.B. Hunt in the flatbed market yet. Uh, perhaps that will come. But that also helped us make the decision that uh, we would be better off by having a more centralized view of everything that was moving so that we could better keep our assets running. It reminds me of how um, companies or retailers can can roll out a new product and all of a sudden, because they have this wide distribution, they become mm-hmm. the worldwide leader in that product. It reminds me of like the Apple uh, with watches. They weren't making watches, but uh, you know, a year after they started, they're now the world's leading watchmaker. Or mm-hmm. Kroger's with uh, flowers is another example. When they started rolling out flowers, they're now the world's largest flower or the, the, country's, na- uh, the country's largest flower uh, retailer. I want to uh, bring this back to the, the recent LoadSmart investment. I think this has to tie in with this uh, flatbed market that Home Depot may be trying to create. So what's up with the LoadSmart investment? 
Yeah, LoadSmart is really exciting. They're one of the digital carriers that we use, and we appreciate all the digital carriers. But LoadSmart in particular seemed to have some uh, technology capabilities that we found to be really advantageous. And so Home Depot did make an investment in LoadSmart toward the end of 2020. And we're in the process of building out uh, what we're referring to as a flatbed marketplace. How can we take all of these fragmented uh, trucks and owner operators and provide a venue that will help us move our freight, frankly, more efficiently, and as well as helping our suppliers as well. So we're excited. It's in its infancy stages right now, but we think there's going to be a lot of opportunity and possibilities as we work with LoadSmart to build out this flatbed marketplace. I agree. I'm very excited to watch what you guys have in store with the LoadSmart, uh, the LoadSmart partnership. So I do. I have to bring this to an end, but I want to thank you both, Michelle and John, for your time today. This has been great. Uh, you guys want to give a moment to shout out anybody on your team? Boy, I tell you what, the team has worked so hard, particularly last week with all of the storm support that we provided, not just in Texas, but actually through the majority of the United States, it seemed like there was a storm activity. And so I'd like to just provide a big shout out to our uh, to the entire transportation operations team, as well as our carriers for helping to support that event. Absolutely. Home Depot yeah. is always on the front line there uh, helping with disaster relief. John, I'm sorry for, for stopping. You got about 10 seconds if you'd like to give a shout out. I just want to thank all the drivers out there in the final mile space. They're the last thing they see in the, the impression of the Home Depot. So keep up the great work and keep our customer satisfaction high. Absolutely. Thank you, John. Thank you, Michelle. I hope you have a great rest of your week and, and stick around and tune into the Supply Chain Week uh, throughout. We'll see you next thank time. You. Great. Thank you. All right. Lovely. I absolutely yes. love Home Depot. I do too. No, they're a great, great group, a great company. Uh, Awesome products. I mean, there's a reason that they've they've won the Shipper of Choice Award mm -hmm. uh, a couple times in the last couple of years, and that's because drivers absolutely love uh, going to their docks. Their their dwell times are usually pretty good because they've invested in mm -hmm. technology, and they do then they make it a point to take care of drivers. And, and that's the way to, to keep rates lower. If you're a shipper out there, if you ship goods, taking care of drivers, being a shipper of choice will naturally lower that premium that that carriers will charge for any hiccups, you know, four hour unloads or five hour unloads, that type of thing. Yeah, I mean it's it's it makes so much sense, right? Reduced well, you can make your uh, you can try to make your operations more efficient. You can make better use of your space, and you make drivers happier. You make more carriers want to work with you. I, it, it's just dwell time. It's just a flywheel. My mind, it's it's it is definitely it, a flywheel. It really is. It's, it, it's obviously a difficult thing to accomplish because dwell has been a la a nagging um, problem in our industry for decades. Uh, and and hopefully, I think there's some push towards getting that worked out. Drop and hook has been a big mm -hmm. push uh, throughout COVID, as well as the collaboration that we've spoken uh, about throughout the day uh, here where retailers and their transportation partners are working more collaboratively, sharing more data. I think that that just helps for planning. It helps for risk mitigation. Uh, I think it helps with everything. It really does. That, that democratization and, and transparency uh, between different partners, uh, you know, vendors and, and clients uh, both gives gives everyone that, that clarity and, you know, it reduces inefficiencies, right? It just rings out the inefficiencies, makes everything much more efficient, which lower costs. That's right. We have got a discussion on a huge inefficiency right now. That is the port mm -hmm. congestion in uh, in the port of L.A. Coming up with Lori and LaRocco and John Gold of the National Retail Federation. Enjoy. <laughs> 